The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day. Except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth! You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great, and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive! So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. And uh, welcome to the Philosophy of Perennis live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers on a Wednesday, 30 August 2017. I am your co host and moderator, Mike Church, and we will be joined by Brother Andre Marie just momentarily. Tonight we will be studying and discussing. Dehomene, lecture number 21, and all 30, uh, 31 of the lect- lectures can be found at Catholicism.org. That is where you can get the le- lectures. I'll tell you how more about how to get them later on. If you miss any of the previous 20 episodes or 20 uh, live classroom and chat room debate sections of the Dehomene series that we've been conducting here, it's easy to, to catch up. You can go to my website at mikechurch.com and click the Catholicism button at the top of any page and then pull down Philosophia Perennis. And then uh, you'll see all of the individual lectures there. You can also sign up for the RSS audio feed there. Sign up for the RSS audio feed there. And if you sign up for the RSS audio feed, if you have an RSS player, uh, each episode uh, and our, our each of our discussions will download automatically to your RSS reader. Okay, so let's go now live to the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire, and say hello to Brother Andre Marie, who is uh, standing by, sans the technical 
uh, connection difficulties we were having earlier. Brother, are you there and how are you? Uh, I'm here and I'm doing well. Can you hear me okay, Mike? I can hear you fine. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Must be a miracle because uh, we didn't do anything and it's still messed up. And it, I, it was still messed up like 30 seconds ago. Uh, maybe it is a miracle. <laughs> uh, well, hey, that stuff happens. Uh, so we will uh, be discussing uh, Dahomey number 21 tonight. And uh, as you and I were talking in the brief amount of time that we had before we started tonight's uh, broadcast, there's a lot of meditation on the particular psalm in this particular Dahomey. So uh, where, how would you like to proceed and where would you like to start? Well, okay, so some of what he's saying here, he's already said, okay? Um, I think what... What, what we can do, and I'm looking at the notes that we have, there is a, there is a, um, a verse from the Gospel of St. John mm-hmm. that our Lord uh, uttered. It's an utterance of our Lord that, that Brother Francis quoted and made kind of a big deal about. And, and because, again, he's talking about happiness, and we know as, as Christians that our ultimate happiness is in, is in the beatific vision. And there are a number of synonymous terms for the beatific vision. We speak of the, I mean, to call the beatific vision is to speak um, most specifically of the intellectual vision of God, the seeing of God in heaven. But of course, heaven itself is a place and a state. So we talk about it as heaven, we talk about it as eternal salvation, we talk about it as the beatific vision, beatitude, eternal glory, salvation. All of these terms are at least uh, roughly synonymous. They focus on different aspects of the same thing, um, but they are synonymous. So um, one of those terms is eternal life. Okay. And um, the, the passage from the Gospel of St. John is in John chapter 17. Uh, all of John chapter 17 is what's called the high priestly prayer of our Lord. Jesus is... Um, about to suffer uh, his agony in the garden. Uh, he, is, he has just finished the Last Supper, and he's praying for his disciples, and for not only for us. I mean, he says, I pray not just for them, but to those who through them will believe in me. So he's, talking, he's praying for the whole church. And in that prayer, he says to our Lord, he, it's funny because he, he speaks of himself in the third person. Using his full formal name and title, he mm-hmm. says, This is eternal life, to know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, that there is so much in that one verse that can be unpacked. First of all, it shows us that the essence of salvation is cognitive, okay, knowing Christ, knowing the Father, knowing God. Uh, now, we don't say that um, the will and the emotions and even the body don't participate in salvation. Of course, it's an entire person that participates in salvation. And after the resurrection of the body, even the body will uh, experience the, uh, the, the joys of, of heaven, but we're not talking about um, 
a Muslim conception of heaven, which is basically uh, sensual. And, uh, you know, the, 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 all the, whatever it is, 70, 70 virgins or whatever that the pious Muslims are supposed to get when they go to heaven. Um, that, that's a very, that's a very, the, both the Muslim and the Mormon conceptions of heaven tend to be very sensual. For us, salvation is essentially uh, cognitive in nature. Now, that, that sounds kind of, um, uh, well, I mean, it sounds it, it sounds kind of, uh, un, I guess, um, anticlimactic, <laughs> unless you think about what it is that we know, unless you think about what, what that cognition is. And then, of course, once you know that truth, you love it perfectly, and you experience joy and delight in the will as well. Um, but there's also a sense in which that verse, this is eternal life, to know thee the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, talks about this life as well. And the sense in which it talks about this life is that one of the requisites for salvation is knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we need to know him here if we're going to know him hereafter. So in order to have salvation, we have to have knowledge of Jesus Christ and through him of the Father. And we can take this and join it to, uh, to, to, to the doctrine of, of uh, what the beatific vision is. It's, it's essentially a knowledge of God uh, without any medium in between us and God. And we can say that in our knowledge of God by grace through faith in this life is something which is an anticipation of the knowledge of God by um, glory and by what's called the, the lumen gloriae in heaven. So it's, a, it's an anticipation. It's a beginning. It's a seed of something that's going to be fulfilled later. Hmm. And, I mean, I certainly couldn't exhaust this verse, and I certainly haven't just exhausted it. <laughs> but we can think in terms of its, of its being an anticipation by faith of glory, even in this life. But what our, so what our Lord says there applies to both the church militant as a necessary requisite to get into the church triumphant, and it even applies to the church triumphant because salvation is essentially the, the uh, mind's knowing of God, and then based upon that, the will's loving of God. So, uh, brother, could you put the, uh, the the notes up in the chat room? I don't. I don't oh, know. sure. Yeah. Okay. So that that'll. I'm um, sorry. That'll take me a little. Um, well, you can go ahead and do that. There. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, ID the the station again. It's Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Uh, we are live. It is a Wednesday evening on the 30th of August, 2017, and we are discussing Dehomene Lecture Number 21. And the previous 20 lectures and our coverage of them can all be listened to them. Uh, now, the lectures you have to get on your own, you purchase them from the St. Benedict Center. And their website is Catholicism.org. And uh, you, if you just browse around your st their store, you'll find them. And if you can't find them, just drop Brother Andre a note. He's easy to find. He's BAM, B-A-M, at Catholicism.org. Uh, that's his email. He's brother underscore Andre on the Twitter and on uh, Facebook. He's brother Andre Marie. And you'll also get the Crusade channel uh, to a discount coupon code that you can use towards the purchase of that 
uh, digital media file, as I call them, and any of the other series, including the entire Philosophia Perennis series, which you will find uh, indispensable in uh, our discussions here. Most of the uh, guys that are in the chat room on any given on any given Wednesday, instead of any given Sunday, on any given Wednesday, have all taken the Philosophia Perennis course as a prereq to uh, continuing studies here uh, with Dahomey and Dahomey. If you don't know, those are uh, the writings of it's one of the, it's one of the parts of the body of work of Saint Thomas of Aquinas. Of course, uh, uh, the principal one being uh, the Summa Theologica. All right, brother, uh, notes are up, and we're ready to go. Actually, uh, the notes aren't up. You're being very presumptuous there, Mike, assuming that I um, actually have the skill to do this in a timely way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm suffering from some sort of uh, technological uh, uh, um, dissonance here. I can't. Well, I you know what, Tom? Yeah, okay, now I've got it. Okay. Richard Bian- uh, Bianconi has put them up uh, in the room from last week because they're, uh, they're all in one folder in Dropbox. So That's true. I have the handout and uh, the notes, so we're all good to go. Let's proceed, shall we? Okay. Okay, sure. So I'm going to go by brother's notes here um, that, okay, that we've got, and I'm going by the longer set of notes. Okay, St. Thomas Aquinas' question tonight, can man's happiness be realized in this life? Um, this is the kind of wisdom that a child, Brother Francis says, of six could know it better than a great professor. Uh, they could see clearly immediately how true it is. The happiness for which our heart yearns, if denied, we deny God. It's almost a corollary that there must be a fulfillment for this desire, but that fulfillment cannot happen on this earth. Now, there were saints, some fathers of the church, that were converted because they they knew that that there were certain things that, that the human heart desires and that we don't have in this life. We cannot access in this life. Uh, for instance, perfect justice, okay? But we have desires to be that, that need to be fulfilled. And uh, the, the, while, while we seem to have this near-infinite capacity for, for knowledge and to desire to know, as long as we're only knowing finite things and things that are lesser than ourselves um, in, in this creation, and even our fellow human beings, we don't have something that's going to satisfy us perfectly. And we know from our own experience that we're not perfectly satisfied by these things. So it, it, it stands to reason that the, that the yearnings of the human heart, unless, of course, there is no God and, and, and you know, the evolutionists are right and, and uh, you know, nature is this cruel thing that, uh, that just whipped us into being through evolution and will whip us out again when some big asteroid smashes us to bits and there's no more intelligent life. Um, unless you have that uh, dreadful, dark, horrible, miserable scenario in your mind, uh, then you would think that uh, uh, the, the, the good God, who's the creator of all that is, would have some way of us having our uh, just and proportional desires fulfilled perfectly. And, of course, this is where St. Thomas goes on great, at great lengths to prove in the Summa Contra Gentiles that the only thing that can, that can satisfy us is a knowledge 
of him who created us as he is. So um, the entire summa, now this is, I'm slightly changing the subject here, but I think it's worth, it's worth considering since we're studying, Saint, we're using St. Thomas as our guide here. Uh, we can maybe step back for a little bit and look at the way he schematized reality. The entire Summa Theologica can be summarized in a couple of sentences. Now, obviously, not, not adequately. It'd be a joke to attempt to do that adequately. But, but the gist of it is this. Man was created by God. He came from God, and he's working himself back to God, and his consummation is in God. This is hinted at by what our Lord is quoted as saying uh, in the book of the Apocalypse. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So he is Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the origin, that which, that the beginning from which all things came. Um, and I am Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet, and the, the end, the consummation. So God is both our creator and he's our consummator. Everything is consummated in him. But in order to go from point A to point B, or really point alpha to point omega, we have to pass through something. And that, of course, is this entire veil of tears. But also it's passing through the sacred humanity of our Lord into beatitude. And that is how we have the entire economy of salvation summarized. So, uh, uh, and you can even put it in a Trinitarian formula. The Father created us through the Son and in the Holy Ghost. And we are redeemed by that same Son who is sent by the Father. And through the Holy Ghost, we will get back... To, we will get. We will come back to the Father. That is the whole plan. That's the whole s summary of the Summa. That's quite a summary, uh, brother. Yeah, and so, so actually, <laughs> to, to go a little deeper here, some of the uh, yeah, it's, it's very simple. Uh, but some of the um, commentators on Saint Thomas they, they, they disagree on the particulars, but they say that the Summa is was written along sort of the grand schematic design of a Neoplatonic outlook on the universe. So in this respect, at least, St. Thomas was purely Aristotelian. The, 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 the Platonists and the Neoplatonists had this idea of what they called exitus reditus, emanation and return, if you will, like a heartbeat uh, expanding and contracting. So creation is, as it were, the expansion of the heart. It's the, it's the exitus. It's everything coming out from God. And that's the work of the six days of creation. And in the case of man, it's an ongoing reality because, of course, uh, creation has ceased except for individual human souls, which God creates every time he infuses one into a body when there's a conception of a human being. So there is the, that's the exitus. The the reditus is the return. And th this is kind of a even a pagan platonic outlook on the universe is everything somehow emanating from the divine mind and then returning only passing through 
any number of freaky hierarchies of these sort of angelic beings. Now, we don't believe in that stuff, and there were various heretical sects that adopted those views, but St. Thomas cuts out all those angelic beings, uh, the aeons, uh, as being intermediaries, but the one, med in, the one intermediary is Christ. So there is an absolute, I mean, anybody who questions, by the way, the Catholic, uh, the Catholic commitment to the absolute uniqueness of redemption in Jesus Christ and to his centrality in the plan of salvation is off his gourd and has never studied what we really believe about this stuff. They assume that because we ask for prayers of the saints and the Blessed Virgin, that we don't think that Christ is the, is the one Savior. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, but we, we absolutely insist because no, no, none of us, including the Blessed Virgin, including the greatest saint and all the angels, could accomplish anything in the order of salvation, either for ourselves or for others, unless we first got the grace through the, through the, uh, the, the sole mediator, as he's called by St. Paul, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through that mediation that we, um, we, we can return to God. Um, so that's the whole exitus. And it actually, by the way, to make it even more rich, we can throw in Trinitarian theology. Because when you look at the Holy Trinity, there is one person in the Trinity that is the origin of all, and that's the Father. The Father did not create the Son. The Father did not create the Holy Ghost. But the, but the Son proceeds from the Father, and the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son. And the Trinitarian processions in eternity are reflected in creation. And as it were, that emanation that comes from God in creation is something like, something very analogous to the generation of the Son and the spiration of the Holy Ghost in eternity. And the cool thing is that when you take it and look at it on the other end, at the end of, not at the end of origin, but at the end of consummation, we have to be in the Holy Ghost through the Son returning to the Father. So it's like a reverse process, okay? <laughs> is that, am I making sense? Yes, yes, yes. I wasn't count I wasn't planning on saying that, but I, I my brain's frazzled because of the connectivity issues we had, so it must have hit some synapses up there and 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 got me wired differently. Hit some synapses, bounced around, uh, you know, came back down and uh, uh, found a little intellect on the way, and then is making a lot of sense. There you go. Crazy how that stuff works, huh? So um, okay, yeah. So. Um, uh, he quotes the psalm verse. Now, this isn't about. This isn't from his meditations on the psalms, but this is another psalm verse. Blessed are the immaculate who walk in the way of the Lord. Now, the the I don't know where he got this quote. He may have quote translated it from Latin himself. The Douay the Douay version says, "Blessed are the." Um, um, let's see. Blessed are the uh, pure. I think who um, walk in the way of the Lord. Um, the word immaculate is a literal translation, because in, in Latin anyway, it's uh, beati immaculati. Um, and Brother Francis was talking about how it is that we are immaculate, 
uh, and we walk in the way of the Lord. He's talking about the way to salvation. We're made immaculate. Now, obviously, we use that term especially to refer to the Blessed Virgin Mary. But when we follow the life of grace, when we live the life of grace, we are, we are cleansed, okay? And we are, as it were, made immaculate. Now, we're not made perfectly immaculate because we still sin. But the, to, to get this blessing, we have to be working towards being immaculate. That is to say, uh, uh, cleansed, huh? Without any spot, spotless. Uh, actually, the, the Douay Bible says, Blessed are the undefiled who walk in the way of the Lord. Um, so that, that perhaps is less uh, shockingly uh, high a standard than immaculate. But still, it literally means the same thing, spotless. Brother Francis goes on to say, it seems that because Holy Scripture calls them blessed, they must have already achieved their happiness. Uh, happy and blessed are synonymous, but happy is committed, uh, but happy is not committed to the supernatural. Brother objected to the fact that in some of the modern biblical translations of the New Testament, in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and the uh, Sermon on the Mount, they translate the Beatitudes as happy. Uh, Instead of blessed are the pure in spirit, uh, they say happy are the pure in spirit. I was just and, getting ready to ask that question because I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that quoted. Well, happy are the uh, are the poor in spirit and happy. I, went, I think it says blessed, actually, not happy. Yeah, well, the, 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 the translation, you know, the, the modern translation say happy. And, you know, beatus in Latin could be translated as happy. But it's a happiness that's um, that's uh, that's supernatural. So, you know, th there are these words that we use that are sort of consecrated words uh, and that we've given a more exclusively religious usage to or that we've assigned, to be more precise, to a supernatural use. So, for instance, when we say... Um, well, okay, so blessedness is a, is a type of supernatural happiness. Um, but there are some other words, like the difference between love and charity. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that God is love. And um, he, uh, uh, let's see, Deus Caritas says, Equimana in Deum, Amana in Caritate. God is love, and he, and he who abides in love is abiding God and God in him. But the, the, the Latin of St. Jerome says, God is charity, and he who abides in charity abides in God and God in him. That word charity has sort of a reserved use to supernatural love, to the theological virtue, not or to the love of God himself towards us. But when we say love, it has a great, uh, you know, a great uh, variety of meanings, and anything from erotic love uh, which is certainly not theological in character, to um, to just mere human love. And, and, and even philosophically with St. Thomas, love is a simple attraction to a good. So a rock loves the center of the earth, according to St. Thomas. Obviously, you're talking. there's a great difference between that and divine charity or even human love. And human love has all sorts of divisions among it, you know. But what we have here in the word charity is kind of a consecrated word that's reserved to either the theological virtue that's inherent in the soul or an act of that virtue between one man and another 
or um, God himself loving us. So similarly to, to, to happy and, and, and rather to uh, charity and love, we get happy and blessed. One, you know, it's kind of a generic sort of meaning. The other one, it really has a more explicit, explicit um, religious use. I mean, I remember one time somebody saying uh, to an atheist when he sneezed, oh, bless you. And the, and, and the, and the, the two of them laughed because they realized that that had absolutely no meaning <laughs> to the atheist. Um, you could have said, oh, somebody, curse you. When somebody, exactly. When somebody says, I feel very blessed, you're not going to mistake that, that that's something that's just natural, right? I mean, the, the very word carries with it supernatural connotations. Whereas if somebody says, I feel happy, uh, well, it could be because he just won the lotto or because, you know, he just got a Hallmark card from his girlfriend or something. <laughs> this is the Philosophy of Potentis live classroom and chat room. We are live on Wednesday night, August the 30th. It's a little, it'll be uh, just a little shy of 6.30 p.m. Central Time at 7.30 East Coast. You can join our chat room. It is live and uh, happening at my website. Go to mikechurch.com. Click on the Catholicism tab, top of the page, and then Philosophia Perennis. And then scroll down a bit, and then you'll see the Philosophia, uh, the Dehomine, Dehomine homepage. And on that page is where the chat room is located. Or just follow me on Twitter, at the King Dude, And I've tweeted out the live stream address that you can listen um, and the chat room address, which you can just uh, jump right into. Uh, if you missed any of our previous episodes, they are all available as podcasts on an RSS feed that you can also locate it by going to my site and using the Catholicism slash Philosophy of Penennis menu and clicking on any of the Dehomine episodes and then following that podcast link uh, in an RSS feed or however you wish to. Brother uh, Andre Marie is host of the uh, Reconquest uh, show, which will air tonight, immediately following this broadcast. And tonight we'll hear episode number 91. Brother, what's on uh, episode 91? Uh, episode 91 is called, uh, let's see, my, my guest is, uh, is Charles Cologne. Mm. And we're calling it um, the alt-right Catholic view. The alt-right Catholic view. So, um, yeah, we're talking about the alt-right. It's, it's, it's a very timely topic. Is it the real alt-right or the uh, uh, the fake news alt-right? Well, I, I, I guess it depends on what you consider. I mean, alt just means alternative, right? So, um, But uh, the, those who represent the alt-right, th those who are... Um, you know, like Richard Spencer and guys like that, who who are kind of dominating the field of the alt right. Uh, that's who we're talking about. I don't know that it pays very well to dominate the field of the alt right these days. Uh, <laughs> I think you're better off being a minor league player in uh, in, in in that one, brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's frankly why I don't I don't like using the term. I mean, when it first came out, I thought, okay, that sounds kind of nice. The alt right meant something that was, um, you know, an alternative to the to the kind of nonsense that you get in the mainstream conservatism. But um, you know, it it became um, something like it's a movement, right? So it's not a party; it has no recognizable planks or anything. It, it just became a, um, a a broad tent for anybody who's disgruntled with the mainstream right. Well, the guys that 
started filling that tent pretty early on are pretty warped. You know, you've got Nietzscheans and, Dar and, and Dar Darwinists and racists and people who are sort of indifferent on what we would call social conservatism, social issues, abortion. Some of them are into euthanasia. Um, so we're not talking about, uh, not euthanasia, but eugenics, excuse me. We're not talking about a wholesome bunch of people. And we're certainly not talking about wholesome views. It doesn't represent. Well, I, I, I came across an excellent column by a young man um, who has a website called um, The Counter Revolution. Mm -hmm. And in, in the context of a fairly good article on the subject, he said um, the, the racialist uh, right wants to restore a Christendom without Christ. <laughs> and I thought that was good because. Now, he's using deliberate irony. When he talks about a Christendom without Christ, he's talking about Western culture and Western society and the historic patrimony of the West, which these guys pretend to be defending. But unfortunately, they're not defending it because they, they're leaving Christ out of it. They're leaving the religion out of it. And some of these guys are atheists. You know, they're, they're, In fact, uh, I think Richard Spencer identifies himself as an atheist, but, but he's culturally a Christian. Well, that's absurd. That's utterly absurd. Well, I'll tell you the real absurdity of it is, um, and there is, uh, as a matter of fact, I was going to forward this to you. I probably will forward it to you. It's a uh, piece that's posted at thefederalist.com tonight, and it's written by a gentleman who lectures on play, uh, uh, platonic philosophy at Oxford. Now, already, Brother Andre Marie's hair on the back of his neck is standing up, and he's already hearing the air raid warning siren, and the red flags are on the beach, and uh, he's thinking about an old episode of Lost in Space, and the robot's going, warning, warning, Will Robinson. <laughs> You're exactly correct to think that. And his criticism is to start off with, well, let me go ahead and attack Pat Buchanan as a Nazi, uh, not, a Nazi, um, Nazi codifying uh, white supremacist racist, and then he goes on to try and identify that, well, the Western Western culture and Western tradition is not Caucasian. And uh, all these guys, these uh, Pat Buchanan's and all these other Christian types are saying that it's Caucasian, blah, blah, blah. And it is, you know, it is the universal principle to organize a society around uh, that Plato began, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, have you ever read? I'm, I'm reading this going like, look, I'm an amateur at this, but have you ever read Plato? You don't know what the heck you're talking about, pal. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this guy is saying. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Pat Buchanan. Um, I think Pat Buchanan did himself a disservice in one of the columns that he wrote, where he where he used the word white supremacist. I think in the wrong way, and um, and I'm for, and you know Rod Dreher, as you know, dumped all over him mm -hmm. um, in the pages of a magazine that was started by Pat Buchanan. <laughs> um, but the the uh, and and some guys at some guy at Chronicles Tom Piatank I think defended Buchanan from from uh, Dreher's what he considered sort of ungrateful attack, but Buchanan did something unfortunate. He identified all of the all of the uh, basically founders of the American Republic and uh, and and a lot of European greats that he named. He had, he said they were all white supremacists. Well, no, he was that, saying no. He what he was saying is it, there was an if in there. If these are, then all of these are as well. That was his, I think that was lost in translation. 
Well, and I mean, it may, I read it it may have been a. And I was surprised that he seemed to be calling them all white racists. No, white supremacists. No, no, he it, no, no. I, I, if you read it again, I think you'll you, you'll. Okay, and, and well, I'll double check, but but but. And that was Piantic's uh, point. Uh, what I took him to mean was that it was that they believed in they believed in the superiority of Western Christian culture. They believed in the superiority, the intrinsic superiority of Christian culture over, say what they found here when, mm-hmm. when they came in and, and, and made contact with the Indians. Right. But, I mean, there's no justification for referring to yourself as or to for referring to somebody having a good quality being a white supremacist. Yeah. If you define white supremacist as somebody who, who believes in the um, uh, superiority of uh, Christendom then uh, over, over other cultures— then I know I know black people who are white supremacists, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because because their whole religious slash cultural uh, orbit is is Christendom. I mean, I have I know a black priest, and my my clo- closest priest friend, who's uh, who's uh, African American. Um, he would be considered a white supremacist on those grounds because. He is absolutely a, a, a man of the West. He's a man of Western Christendom. Um, but you know, it, it's it's these these actual racists are are are, are truly sickening. I mean, well, they are. <clears throat> now, brother, maybe uh, this is going to be a good subject for you and either Charles Cologne or uh, Joseph Doyle. Uh, do us a show on why it's called the West. I mean. I know it in the abstract, and I know it's because of, uh, of what it is. If you know what's east of the West, then you know why it's the West. But I bet Charles could explain that. Yeah, okay, so what constitutes the West? By the way, I, I don't think we should be uh, uh, Western bigots either, because I, I actually, if you notice, I stopped in my tracks, and I didn't say Western Christendom at one point. I said Christendom. Because Eastern Christendom was great too. <laughs> Eastern Christendom was great, and what is Eastern Christendom? It's it's Constantinople. Unfortunately, now, like the stupid song says, it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. That's right. But if it's ever restored, you will have an Eastern Christendom and a Western Christendom, um, reflect as sort of mirror images of one another. Uh, each emphasizing different aspects, and this is this is why I so look forward to the consecration of Russia and the conversion of Russia to the Catholic faith, because we, it's only when that happens that we can we'll be, really begin to talk about Eastern Christendom again. I was going to say then the uh, then uh, the uh, the dividing line of East West goes way far. <laughs> very far to the east, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, Geographically yeah, speaking. Point, yes. And, you know, maybe, who knows, um, it'll be Constantinople and not Istanbul at that point <laughs> when the Ruskies come to the rescue. Because I think that, um, you know, we're going to have to have, we're, go- we're going to have to have um, Constantinople restored and the Hagia Sophia made a, made a church again and once again the center of Eastern Christendom. Yeah, there's a point in here in the notes that uh, that Brother Francis makes that um, I think that I, I'm not sure that you that you made it earlier, um, uh, and I've got the cliff note, the short version, and it's this statement: salvation is a fact, not a theory. The Catholic religion is a reality, not a philosophy. 
uh, because yeah. you'll get both of those statements from a wide variety and assortment of people. Well, that's just a theory, and, uh, well, that's just your philosophy or, you know, like your opinion, man. Uh, no, it's not an opinion, and no, that's not a theory. There's nothing theoretical about the reality of what's happened since a little past 3 p.m. on the 25th of March, uh, 33 A.D., pal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean and, and the church, and of course, this, is, this argument is not going to work with a non-believer, but the way that we have to look at it, because the church has taught us this, is that the, the, the doctrines that, that the church teaches that were revealed by God are not to be looked at as the theories of a philosophical school that are subject to human development. I mean, this is explicitly taught in Vatican I, that it's not simply the, 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 the teachings of some philosophical school. I mean, we're very certain that Aristotelian Thomistic philosophy is a very reliable philosophy. Does that mean that every single thing that St. Thomas ever wrote about philosophical questions is undisputable and infallible? No. It is certainly subject to development. It is certainly subject to questioning, especially in some of its, some of its uh, hairier and more complicated uh, questions and, and, and provisional conclusions. But that's not the same to uh, we don't we cannot say the same thing about the revealed body of the religion. That's very different. And St. Thomas never would have thought that his philosophical or even theological excogitations could be could be on an equal playing field with divine revelation. So, yeah, it's a fact. Um, there are plenty of theories that are used to explain part of those facts. And we call that those theories theology. Um, it, it, by the way, this is something that a lot of people don't, don't have clear. Philosophy is a, an explanation of, of the natural universe according to the light of natural reason. It's an explanation of things in terms of their origins and purposes and essence and natures. It's not, an, it's not just, um, it, it, it's not a revelation. It's not a religion, okay? And it's based upon human observation and human reasoning alone. The uh, dogma, in, in the Catholic sense of the word, is a, is a divine revelation. It's a deposit from God that must be believed, and it's unquestionably, un, uh, absolutely true. Theology is kind of a fusion of the two, and, and by a fusion of the two I mean this. It's an explanation of, of, dog, of the deposit of faith. It's an explanation of the data we have been given in the deposit of faith, but according to the principles of philosophical inquiry. Because our Lord didn't come down and teach like a philosopher. Our Lord taught as one having authority and gave us the, the, the answers. He didn't say it's like that. I think it's like this because, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, major premise, minor premise, conclusion. He didn't do that. Right. He taught with authority as the one sent by the Father to teach divine truth. But we can take that, and in order to make sense about it, I mean, this is why one of the greatest definitions of theology is that it's fides querens intellectum. This is, uh, I believe, St. Anselm of Canterbury said this. Um, uh, no, not Canterbury. What am I saying? I I'm a little goofball tonight. Um, St. <laughs> uh, Anselm's from Italy, and I just, I'm not remembering the town. But St. Anselm said... Um, uh, define theology as fides querens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. 
That's the purpose of theology. So somebody's theology can be uh, not so great theology, but his doctrine could be sound. Because let's say he's trying to explain theological, uh, dogmatic truth according to the, the quack theories of some Neoplatonist philosopher from the 4th century. So he might come to all kinds of weird ways of explaining the truths of the faith, but he still may be solid in his faith. Okay, But when you talk about the perfect fusion of the two, the, 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 what we think, and here we are sort of uh, very opinionated about this, we think that in the 13th century, in the, in the high Middle Ages, we came to the great medieval synthesis of, of, of the, the highest and most perfect of philosophy with the, do, with the deposit of faith. And we had men like St. Thomas, like St. Bonaventure, like St. Um, uh, Albert the Great, and many, many others, Duns Scotus. I'm trying to give equal time to the Franciscans and the Dominicans. And then later we had Jesuits too. And they took this great synthesis and explained dogma, explained the truths of revelation according to the philosophical methods of inquiry. And, you know, the sad thing is that in the history of uh, culture and the history of, of, um, of uh, um, theology and cultural history, intellectual history, you might say, the around the time of the of the shortly before the Protestant Reformation and in the late Renaissance, all that great medieval synthesis was questioned and questioned and questioned, and um, we ended up with this despising of scholastic theology. We ended up with nominalism, and we ended up with Luther. Yes, That's the sad part. It all got shredded at some point. Not not that it was lost, right? It's not lost. We still have it. But it was no longer the dominant view in society, and that's one of the things. That's what we're trying to reconquest. <laughs> that's what we're trying to reconquer. We want to bring all that back. Well, you know, you're making uh, the uh, the the attempt is to fashion a Christendom, Christendom, for this continent. I mean, the other continent is going to have to take care of itself in some manner or in in some ways. I mean, we can be in solidarity with them because we can all pray together, but geographically speaking, unless you're going to bi-locate, and I'm sure Brother is working on that. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even unilocate. Um, yeah. Unless you're going to bi-locate, then uh, this is the continent on which uh, we live in. Um, it's interesting that, uh, that, that those that pushed the, uh, the efforts of, of the Spaniards who conquered Florida and uh, began the process of making the Seminole Indians and the Miami Indians also uh, began the process of converting many of them and of civilizing uh, that, that part of the United States today. Same thing that they did in Mexico, Central America, and uh, the semi-remaining Catholic parts of South America. And of course, we're, we're then ultimately conquered by the disciples of Jean Claude uh, de Chartres. Did I say it right, de Chartres, de Sartre? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure who you're trying to. Who are you talking about? Wasn't it uh, uh, Sartre, the socialist? Oh, whoa, 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 the bad guy, Sartre. Yeah, Sartre. Uh, Sartre. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jean, Jean, Jean Paul Sartre. Jean Paul. I said Jean Claude. I'm thinking Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, you're fusing. Yeah, I'm picturing the existentialist philosopher doing karate. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a horrible sight. You ever seen Sartre? He was a very ugly man. But you, but you'll know if you ask anyone who is a uh, a practicing Catholic. Hey, have you ever been to Saint Augustine, Florida? Someone who is is going to say, "Yeah, man, I've been to Saint Augustine." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get the well, pronunciation you know, right. In, in New Orleans, as you know, there's a school named Saint Augustine. That, that's right. Well, and and, and the, the point is, is if you go to Saint uh, Augustine, and I've been Florida, beautiful little town, uh, very rare in Florida because it has hills, and uh, that's probably why it was chosen. Uh, it's beautiful, and it was, you know, it dates back to the uh, early part of the 16th century. That's uh, you don't go to to a, to a, a hostile land like Florida was at the time, populated with the Seminole Indians. Put a stake in the ground or a crucifix, and then name it for a uh, a canonized saint, a doctor of the church. If you don't plan to to colonize or conquest, it wasn't a reconquest at that time. It was a conquest that area for Christ and for the uh, and for the church. People forget that. That the Franciscans and, uh, and 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 the Catholics were here long before the Protestants were even created. Yeah, yeah, and don't and don't forget uh, uh, Santa Fe. Uh, so so Saint Augustine was fifteen sixty five. They founded it. Santa Fe was founded in sixteen oh nine. And uh, a little fun fact about Santa Fe. Um, by the way, the whole name of it is. Uh, La Via Real de la Santa Fe de San Francisco de Assisi, the uh, the royal city of the Holy Faith of Saint Francis of Assisi. All that's left of that today is Santa Fe. And uh, but by 1625, they had 43 churches serving 34,000 Catholic Indians in Santa Fe. And brother, it's also the sign. They had a Christendom. They had a little Christendom. It's a miracle city. There were there are so many miracles reported there, including. There was a movie made uh, about 12, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, the, uh, I'm trying to think of who, uh, trying to remember who was in it. Um, oh, the guy that was in uh, um, that was then and this and William Peterson. Um, uh, the Miracle Staircase, the one that was built by Saint Joseph. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. Um, I didn't know that little trivia about Santa Fe. I need to look that up. Yeah, yeah um, I, I can send you the link to where that information is on our website. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the uh, I mean, the Pilgrim Fathers landed in what 1620. There was already there were already two thriving mission, two thriving Christian cities, in the in in what, what would later become the territory of the United States. Of course, of course. Oh, we got about uh, six minutes left, uh, brother, to to wrap up uh, to Hominy number twenty one and. I'm looking through the short version of the notes, and um, brother. Okay, I think I've got. There's one point that Brother Francis made a couple times. I think we taught, touched on it last week. Two aspects of this. First, he says that faith comes by hearing, and and Brother Francis loved to quote that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. He loved to quote that. So the, the, there's an importance to the preached word, even over and above the importance of the written word. Faith comes by hearing, so it has to be spread by missionaries. And he says, faith is something we get by hearing, but salvation in its highest sense, in the beatific vision, is a vision. It's a sight. And he talks about how there is this imperfection to hearing. Faith is telling us about something. Beatitude is seeing it. And we all know what it's like when somebody tells us about something and then later on, we see it for ourselves. 
So there's that comparison. And we spoke about it last week. And Brother Francis was really sensitive to this. The senses being employed to describe the life of faith on this earth and the life of beatitude in heaven. And then the other aspect of it is that that there are, the, there are the different gradations of certitude. We talked about this already, but that natural reason gives us only a certain light, that that uh, faith gives us an even brighter light, but that beatitude gives us the light of glory. And, 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 in, and in that light, we see God himself. Um, and, and there can be relative degrees of happiness. So natural knowledge of God can give somebody a certain natural happiness. They talk, you know, um, the great uh, Dante talks, he has the one part of hell, the one part of the inferno, where there's actually sunlight, and it's not just all dark and stinky and horrible, is where the, the, the philosophers and the virtuous pagans end up. Because, of course, they're not baptized, they didn't have supernatural faith, they can't be in heaven. But they're there, we're wearing their laurel wreaths and philosophizing. <laughs> so talk, you know, Homer's there and all these, all these great Greek and Latin writers are all there doing their poetry and they're philosophizing. And they're talking about what things must be like in heaven. They have a certain natural beatitude. And this would have been, this would have been part of that great medieval synthesis because they wouldn't have thought that hell would necessarily have been all positive torment. Interesting. Um, I mean, it is for actual sin, but not for people who died as sort of the, ju the the righteous pagans. Now you you then, but then you look at the, the the kind of happiness that you get by faith, joy. Catholics should be happy people. <laughs> we shouldn't be miserable. And then you have finally the highest the highest uh, knowledge, which is beatitude, in beatitude, the beatific vision, and that gives us the highest joy, the highest delight. And it's in, it's in that highest sense that we can say that the purpose for man that Aristotle talked about, um, to, to, to live the good life and thereby to become happy, that is ultimately fulfilled in beatitude. Brother, if, if I could, uh, we've got about uh, two and a half, three minutes left. Uh, I'd just like to reiterate a point, and um, uh, I, I don't think we've made it, but Brother Francis, in at least the last 10 lectures uh, of Dahomey, has gone out of his way and is very pointed about making this. And um, I think it's something that you know you can give us as a uh, as a homework assignment, and maybe you did, and I and I missed it. Um, and that's this that. Um, we're always going to read the Psalms first in Latin. And by reading at least one part of them in Latin, we are making our language better and we are, we are approaching the understanding of the whole of the sacred language uh, of, of the church. Uh, I think that that's part of our course study here that we ought to all try and engage in. I know I try and do it every day. And uh, I fail miserably at it, but I think I am getting marginally better. And that is uh, e even taking a psalm, just a, c a couple of verses, uh, and reading them. You can read them in English, so you, you, under you know what they're saying, and then reading them in Latin. And when you start reading them in Latin, if you keep doing this over and over, it starts because there is a logic to Latin. It's a little difficult to get, but there is a logic to it. 
Yeah, it ain't it easy. No, it's not. <laughs> but he insists that the class that he's teaching uh, this course to, he insists that during the week, I guess uh, in between lectures, that they pick a Latin verse and that they start trying to memorize it. Brother always had this way of saying, I, I need it, you can do it. And sometimes I would, I would try to argue with him that not everybody could quite do what he did. <laughs> he, he used to talk about himself like he was just a common dum-dum. And if I, oh, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> well, and I, never, I never totally believed that. That just speaks to his humility. Uh, folks, that's about all the time we have for Dehominate tonight. I hope you uh, got a little something out of it and enjoyed it. Maybe we'll bring a friend or a family member by next week. And remember, the uh, the lectures and our discussions are, or the discussions on the lectures are all rec recorded and become part of the website at MikeChurch.com. Click the Catholicism tab at the top of the page and then Philosophia Perennis, and you'll see all 21 of, of them as of sometime tomorrow. Stay tuned for the latest episode of Reconquest with Brother Andre Marie, episode number 91, with special guest Charles, Charles Colomb. Coming your way next year, and I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Central, 7 on the on the East Coast. This has been Dahomene, live here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Yeah.